What is going on, Trash Talkers? We are back with another episode for you. Today, we start off by breaking down quite possibly the greatest UFC event in the history of the sport. As we take a look at all of the amazing fights from UFC 256, we break down all that you need to know and discuss what is next for these fighters. Then we jump over to the NBA where we take a look at the Houston Rockets and debate whether or not they can continue to compete in the Western Conference while starting their rebuild. Plus, James Harden may be on the move sooner than we think. We debate where he will end up and what it will take to get him out of Houston. Finally, we send it over to the NFL where we break down week 14 and debate who will win league MVP. All that and much more coming your way right now. Nick, uh, normally, you know, I ask you how your week is, but I think we're riding pretty high after watching UFC 256. I don't know about you, but I woke up even more hyped than I went to bed last night. I I don't know if I woke up hyped. I woke up exhausted (laughs) at two o'clock last night. I finally got to go to bed, but it was with a big, big smile on my face after watching each and every one of those fights last night starting with the early prelims all the way up until that main event. It was unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable how well each and every fighter performed, how this card was put together. It couldn't have worked out better for the UFC, and I'm so happy that I got to watch it. Yeah, and I I don't want to overhype it, but I I don't know if you can overhype it. I mean, in my my intro, I talked about the fact that this could – be the greatest UFC event in the history of the sport. And I'm not joking. I truly and honestly believe that the fights that we saw on this card, everything that we saw from the beginning to the end was just an absolute insanity. I mean, everything you could want out of fighters, especially those who were concerned about seeing a flyweight as the main event, you got everything that you wanted and then some. Yeah, and I think a few of the takeaways that I had from this card that we're not going to go into depth on are Gavin Tucker, an up-and-coming featherweight who absolutely went to town on his opponent, Quarantillo, where he just, you saw the effort he put in with watching the tape, getting to know his opponent, being on the same page as his coaches, and really dissecting his opponent based upon what he saw in film and getting prepared for this fight. Gavin Tucker is a guy that I will be watching out for in this featherweight class that's already stacked to begin with. But this guy, he is something special, and I think that he is going to be some big competition for the rest of the featherweights. And another guy, and I know he's your favorite guy, I'll let you talk about him, but... These these middleweights, these middleweights are absolutely unreal, and we've got so many up and comers I, I the the UFC has never been in better shape than it ha, than it is now each weight class and we, we were talking about this each weight class from bantamweights from bantamweights 135 to middleweights 1 180 are absolutely 
unbelievable. They are absolutely unbelievable. They are killing it. They are so deep, each and every one of these divisions. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you started to talk about it, but the, the Kevin Holland fight, I mean, you talk about a guy who, you know, he was part of the J uh, Dana White's contender series. He was, you know, basically given the short end of the stick. He didn't perform very well uh, on the show. And uh, when it came to the end, when it came for contracts, uh, Dana White said it himself, there's no way I'm giving this loudmouth mouthpiece uh, a contract. I'm not signing him to a deal. And the UFC got put into a position where they were down a fighter uh, for one of their uh, up-and-comers. They they needed somebody on two weeks' notice, and they were like, give Mouthpiece a call. They they call Kevin Holland. He accepts with no, no issues. He said, okay, I'm ready. F it comes in, makes weight with two weeks' notice, and absolutely obliterates the competition. Then they're like, okay, we may have something here. Then he comes into UFC 256 and first round knocks out his opponent with in just impressive style. And not only is he crazy enough to keep, he was talking crap while he was on the mat on, on the, his back, right? He, you know, he, he is at the disadvantage still talking to, to his opponent on top of the fact that once the fight is over, he, he was saying that he wants to fight a week from now. Against yeah, Hamzat Shemaev. Yeah, I mean he and you know he fought a formidable opponent in Jakari Souza. I mean he's he's an older opponent, but still a, a fantastic fight. And I think that Kevin Holland absolutely demolished him and proved that he is worthy of a top three, uh, top three fight in the middleweight division. And he, I know you're calling for Adesanya. You want to see Holland versus Adesanya. And I think Not we're right very now. close. I, I need to see one before it. And I think, exactly. I think Hamzat Chemaev would definitely be the, the step that gets us there. I think that is, that is definitely something I mean, based on when, where we are right now, I doubt it's going to happen in a week. I, I doubt it'll be the last UFC event of the year. But I do believe that he needs to have one more impressive fight to be able to take on Israel Adesanya because I think just by watching him, and, and maybe I'm overhyping him a little bit, but the, the fact remains that this guy looks exactly like Israel Adesanya. He is scared of no one. He talks his game. He does whatever he needs to do, and, and he can strike and he can grapple, and I I mean, what more can you ask for from somebody who Israel Asanya is one of the most dominant pound for, pound for pound fighters in the UFC today, and then you have a guy who is on the on the rise who looks almost exactly like him. If you can have two Israel Adesanya's going at it at once, I'll be very excited for this division. I mean, can you imagine the trash talk that would come from these two? Adesanya, who is the greatest troll, internet troll I've ever seen in the UFC, he, he, he is perfect when it comes to clapbacks. And then you have Kevin Holland, who will just talk about anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. These two would just have a field day with each other. Uh, absolutely absolutely uh before i don't want to get too far into it I, I think that we need to save a little bit of that for moving forward um but before we get to you know what what's on our itinerary for today i do want to discuss one thing and it's something that we kind of brushed over when we talked about this episode uh do you think that you know you uh these fighters should 
spend more time watching film on tendencies for, for their opponents? Like, do you think that this is something that they need to be more aware of? Uh, because I feel like, and, and, and not just per our conversations, but listening to Joe Rogan and DC uh, talking about it yesterday, they were like, Oh, this guy definitely watches film. It's like, okay, but shouldn't they all watch film? Like, I feel like that is a very important aspect of any sport that you are a part of is to watch film and find tendencies to be able to attack your opponent properly, specifically in fighting. Yeah, it's something that I've thought about, and I, I truly don't understand why more fighters don't do it. I'm in the same boat as you and everybody else when we think about this, but the only argument I can make against watching film is fighters are erratic. They don't tend, they don't have tendencies that they follow. They kind of do what they need to. They're going to change their approach based on the opponent, so there's really not much to see because you fight different than their former opponents so so why am i gonna watch i i know that they're strikers so i'm gonna attack their weak their weak side i'm gonna bring them to the ground or i'm going to keep them on their feet you know do what i have to i'm gonna just attack their weakness i don't need to watch film to get that from that or i'm just gonna leave it up to my coach to tell me this is what i need to do i trust my coach but i agree with you that uh, I th I believe that it's just like a quarterback sitting with the coach, with his head coach, every single week and going through film and dissecting. So they're both on the same page. When they see something, they're both they both know exactly what needs to happen in that situation. You don't want one to know the answer and the other one not to know what's going on because right. when they're both in sync, that's when you're at your best. And but as it, much it's, as this, it's not even just as much as this is an individual sport, it, there it, you have a team behind you. You have to work with them to get better. 100%. And it's not even just that, you know, maybe one's in, you know, maybe they're not in sync and one's more prepared than the other. The fact remains that, I mean, using the same analogy, if you're not, if you're not watching the tape of a defense and you're the quarterback, you have no idea how they play, even though the teams that they're playing are not running your offense, right? They're not your players. They're not your offense. Right, yeah. You still find the def the the tendencies to what players like to jump off sides on hard counts, what players uh, struggle, you know, on the inside of the pass rush. The same thing with fighting. What, what uh, fighters try to uh you know different combinations so if, if i'm seeing a left a left jab and then a right hook or if i'm seeing a uh two left jabs and an uppercut you know you can basically yeah. take that and, and then, say okay if i see the the double jab i know the uppercut's coming i'm coming and i know where he's going to be open at that exact time and these are professional fighters they can account for that in their in their head that quickly and that's why I was referencing Gavin Tucker earlier. I mean, this guy, he has the best approach I've ever seen to fighting. The, the way th that he dissects film, I've, he is a true student of the, of the game. And you saw it against Quarantilla where he knew exactly what to do. He knew the, the, the tendencies. As much as you're going to change your game up against different opponents, you still have these tendencies that are kind of just muscle memory. And so when Quarantillo was throwing a right hook he would drop his left arm exposing the the body shot so then right. when when the right hook came in gavin tucker knew to throw the right body shot and then there were there were just so many of these tendencies that gavin tucker took advantage of he was the underdog going into this fight and he completely demolished his opponent 
and that's why we need more fighters like Gavin Tucker in the UFC, in, in MMA in general, because these are the fighters that are going to excel in, in combat sports. For sure. I, and, you know, th there's a there's a lot to get to on this card. And, uh, you know, if, if you guys want to hear a more in-depth uh take on everything UFC 256 and you you want to discuss this further or, or listen to us discuss this further make sure to let us know in the comments uh make sure you tell us and then we'll, we'll make a specific UFC 256 recap video just for you guys um but before we get into the rest of the card or uh I want to discuss the two fights that we had talked about prior to uh, the, this event, and that was the Ferguson Oliveira fight and the Figueredo Moreno fight. Starting with the co-main event, uh, watching Charles Oliveira absolutely dominate somebody like Tony Ferguson gave me chills, honestly. And not, I don't want to say chills in a good way, because I'm a little upset that I feel like we we've lost the the prime version of Tony Ferguson. Yeah. I think he is something more like a shell of himself and just watching him absolutely get dominated. I mean, just looking at the scorecards afterward, it was 30-26, 30-26, 30-26 all across the board. Yeah. There, and there was no shot at him possibly winning. No, this kind of reminds me of Donald Cerrone when he was on his hot streak and then he, he lost his the first fight off of that hot streak and then it was downhill from there and he still hasn't rebounded and the UFC is barely keeping him on the roster. They're only keeping him because of the name value and people are going to buy pay-per-views just to watch him. Yeah. Same thing for Tony Ferguson. He's, he's a shell of himself. He's not the same guy. He doesn't look like the same guy. He looks kind of, he looks physically weak out there. He doesn't, he, does. he, he can take a punch. I will never, ever discredit the amount of punishment this man can take. For sure. Him, Brandon Moreno, these Mexican fighters are built differently. They are a different breed. I, yeah. uh, they are absolutely unbelievable and the best fighters to watch in all of combat sports. I mean, what, what happened to Tony Ferguson last night was unbelievable, but Tony Ferguson, all hats off to you for sticking in there. I mean, you should have been out of there three minutes into the fight with that arm bar, and then you get saved by, by the bell. I mean, that was the most gruesome arm bar I've ever seen where the arm I, I did thought, not break. I mean, we, we all thought his arm was going to snap, and then oh, I and had to look away. I thought he tapped out. I didn't realize that the the round was over i oh I, it was I, I heard everything stop and i was like okay he tapped Whew. hopefully I, he didn't snap his arm and then i you know i said something to you i was like wait why are they fighting and you're like oh that was the end of the round i was like oh my god i i can't believe it <laughs> but but he is willing to undergo extreme excruciating pain and agony physically in order to not tap out and say that he lost he will not go out any other way than being in a body bag or knocked out that's it yeah and and it's impossible to knock him out look at justin gaethje one of the hardest hitters in in all of the ufc and just could not get him uh, get him out of there without it being a decision that's the right. only way but tony ferguson if if the, he keeps down this path i mean i don't know what the future holds for him is he going to i'd he hate to see become the gatekeeper and for the, this, but for that's exactly what i don't want to see from tony ferguson because that's going to hurt his legacy he's an aging fighter he's he's getting up there 
he, he's you know not towards his 40s yet, but I mean, the lightweight division is one of the most competitive divisions in the UFC, and I just don't see a spot for him right now. Right now, he's out of the top five, and I don't know yeah. how long it's he's going gonna to take. He's going to drop a lot. He's going to drop a lot. I don't know who it's going to take or how long it's going to take for him to work his way back, if he can at all. I mean, I, it just doesn't look like he has the physical capabilities of keeping up with these young guys. And I want to turn my attention to Charles Oliveira, a guy who now enters the top three in the lightweight division. This guy, yep. I, he is unbelievable. He took, he did something that nobody else is willing to do, and that's take Tony Ferguson down to the ground. Tony Ferguson is known as a great wrestler, a great guy to, uh, on the ground, and that's why even guys like Justin Gaethje, who are all American wrestlers don't want to take him down to the ground because they don't want to test it out. But he, right. he, he went in there guns blazing. He got him down to the ground. He got him. He, he, I think he had six or seven takedowns in this fight. It was unbelievable. And he smothered him. He had, I think 11 out of 15 minutes were on the ground. He had uh, secured ground time. Unbelievable by Charles Oliver. He showed how versatile he is, how, how he's able to stand up in the moment to big competition. This is a guy that's going to go far, and I think that he's in line next to face Justin Gaethje. I think that he, that is the next opponent. Another yep. guy, Tony Ferguson, lost to him. Now Tony Ferguson lost to Charles Oliveira. These two have the wins over him. I think that's the match to make. These They're both supposed to be superior ground, uh, ground fighters, and ju we all know Justin Gaethje has great uh, striking game. So let's see if Charles Oliveira is the real deal. Can he stand up to Justin Gaethje? If he can get past so, Justin Gaethje, he's the only guy in this in the top five who has not faced Habib. Right, but it, but here's the thing: if Oliveira comes up, you have to have him versus Gaethje. Then in January, we're going to see Dustin and Connor too, right? So right. so Poirier McGregor too. That whoever wins that and whoever wins the Oliveira Gaethje has to face off, and then we have to fig we have to figure out who that's gonna be for Khabib, because I, at this moment there's no reason for Khabib to come out of retirement. There really isn't. Yeah, and I it's still even if Charles Oliveira beats Justin Gaethje, it's gonna be very tough to sell a Charles Oliveira Khabib Nurmagomedov fight, especially when we all know. There's only one more fight in Khabib's career. You're not going to well, want it to be. I, you're not going to think he, it would have to be Poirier or McGregor that he has to go through after Gaethje to just to get to Khabib. And I and, think, but I think because and, if you if you say he beat Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje, and one of uh, Conor McGregor or Dustin Poirier, that is the the perfect ladder to then. Okay, now Khabib has. Uh, somebody he's never faced before right and and habib's already come out and said he he'll stay retired if if they want him to fight poirier or mcgregor so we know those fights are not going to happen justin gaethje we, we already know we're not going to see that fight again back to back so right. uh, there charles Oliveira is the best shot to face habib but i i i honestly do not see habib coming out of retirement to fight any one of these guys the only name on his on his mind is GSP, and GSP has already said he's not coming out of retirement to fight him. So, yeah, the, the, we're kind of at a stalemate. The UFC, Dana White, they've got to figure this out. I think we're going to end up having to strip Khabib of the title. I think that Khabib so. should just stay retired at twenty nine and zero, 
It's unfortunate. I hate to see him never fight again, but there's nothing that is going to draw him back that's available. Right. And I will say, I think Dana White kind of did us a favor by not giving us the or forcing the Ferguson Habib matchup. I mean, just what I've seen from uh, uh, Ferguson versus uh, Gaethje and now Oliveira, I, you know, we, we talked about him being a shell of himself. I mean, Habib would have just toyed around with him for a little bit. And then but absolutely could you, I mean, him. what would Habib be able to do? to get him out of there before you know unless it's a decision probably break i mean he'd have to break his arm or something like probably that. throw I mean, him another triangle choke just like he did to gaichi and just make him pass out that's honestly like, you know you're not gonna want to hurt just like he didn't want to hurt gaichi in front of his parents on fight island he wouldn't want right. to hurt tony ferguson because tony ferguson is one of the greatest greatest lightweights of all time right so no, for sure you know it's we're in one of those unfortunate scenarios where this the the division is at a stalemate because the champion is on hiatus and probably never returning, even though the president of the company is still holding out hope that he's <laughs> going to come back. But there's so much more. I mean, his his love is never going to be lost for Habib. That is <laughs> Ab- for sure. absolutely not. But I think um, it, the UFC is really going to start turning their attention to their other divisions because the the lightweight division is just one of many divisions that is very deep. And there's one on the rise in the flyweight division. And we got that well, and last that's night. The funny thing. Well, yeah, and we got that last night. But that's the funny thing is that. Dana wanted to get rid of the flyweight division. <laughs> yeah. he, he didn't. He didn't want this. He he was like he wanted uh, who was it? Um, T.J. Dillashaw uh, to come in, destroy Henry Cejudo on on basically no notice or what did you know? And and then and then take take the belt and take the division. That that was the plan. Then Cejudo absolutely obliterated T.J. Dillashaw while he was on PEDs, <laughs> and uh, that was it. That was the end. Uh, Henry Cejudo, his reign started. He he continued on with his legacy. He retires in the prime of his career, and then they hand it over to Davison Figueredo, who we saw last night was is more than deserving of this of the championship. But this Brandon Moreno kid is no joke, and I think that if I'm Dana White. I am calling Henry Cejudo. I'm saying, sir, you get your ass back to the UFC where you belong because we need the three of you to figure this shit out. Uh, there is nothing in my mind that says Davison Figueredo, Brandon Moreno can only be can be the only two flyweights to to put on. Why not? Like Why not? Why can't they be the only two? Because this is the only two people I ever want to see fighting. No, 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 no. Did you? We can I, only I, see I want a maximum of two more times. I want to, but I don't care. I want to see Brandon Moreno versus Figueredo. For the 80th time, because these two fighting against each other was one of the most unbelievable fights I've ever seen in my life. These two went to war against each other, and they both came out victorious. I mean, they uh, no one lost this fight. They both gave everything they had, and they never surrendered. And it was it was remarkable. It was unbelievable to watch. I loved every second of it. It kept me on the edge of my chair. It kept you on the edge of your chair. This was the greatest fight of the year. This was the fight of the year, and it came at the most perfect time. It did. It did. And what what I saw from Brandon Moreno was astounding. This man, I mean, you, you talk about that Mexican blood. Brandon Moreno was taking absolute haymakers to the chin and not even flinching. I mean, Davison Figueredo, 
after a while he realized that okay maybe i can't fool around with this guy this guy seems like he you know he's not he's not really reacting to to the stuff that i'm doing and then in the championship rounds in rounds four and five they were absolutely just laying out their entire bodies we wa- we watched full bodies fly into every single punch and kick that was being made they were flying into each other ju- with, with full power and absolutely trying to basically end their lives uh and it came to a point where these guys their their chins are made of so much iron that there was there was just no give they were gonna break their hands before they ended up knocking somebody out i mean you saw the hematoma on that forearm of brandon moreno it looked like he had a broken forearm and he's still throwing the 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 punches (laughs) it was unbelievable it doesn't matter these guys will do whatever it takes to win and that's exactly what you want to see out of a champion both of them are very deserving of that and i can't wait for the rematch and i i know that no rematch will ever live up to what that to what happened last night but if even if we can get half of that it would be a great fight and well, I, think- I, I do want to. I do want to say that, you know, Davison Figueroa barely held on to this this uh, title, right? And a lot of it comes at the scrutiny of the referee Jason yep. Herzog yep. taking a point away from him for the absolute annihilation of the McNuggets of Brandon Moreno. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he straight up he kick. squared him up and just. <laughs> It was like he was kicking a 60-yard field goal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I lost my breath on that one. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. oh that, that, that made, I mean, he, used to, he was spitting up blood and everything. Yeah. And then he continued to fight. And like I, he could have called it right soon, there and said, As you know soon what? as that happened, I, I thought to myself, there's absolutely no way they're going to be able to continue this pace. And guess what? Instantly, they got back to that pace. <laughs> they didn't like, skip a beat. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> Brandon Moreno is a warrior and I will never stop commending him for the job that he did last night. I've never seen, I knew that he would be able to stand up to Figueredo, but I never knew that he would be able to stand up to him like that. That was unbelievable. I I mean, these guys, (laughs) I, I'll, this, this fight will, will go down as the greatest fight in flyweight history this is this is the peak this is what you need to aim at if you are entering the 125 weight class this is what you're gonna have to live up to so i hope you uh tighten up those bootstraps and and get to work because it's it's going to be a long road and it's not just davis and figueredo and it's not just brandon moreno you have joseph benavidez you have alex perez you have brandon royval you have uh askar askarov you have you have a lot of these guys tim elliott is on the rise i I like some of these names that are around i i i I think that these guys you know they're not going to give us the show that davis and figueredo and brandon moreno gave us but they are going to give us a lot of competitiveness in this flyweight division that wasn't guess who even we're forgetting to make it guess, who's, guess who still has to make their their flyweight debut oh yeah one cody garbrandt so yeah. don't forget he's coming yeah. into the mix we, you know, yeah that's right <laughs> i mean th- this this weight class is getting crazy the what's gonna happen is we're gonna see a few of the of the bantamweights who can cut down to 125 they're going to start doing that because Figueredo, he's a big body. He's a guy who missed weight a couple times in earlier in his career, and no one ever thought that he would be able to be a flyweight and he'd have to be a bantamweight. And then you had Cejudo who gave up the title because he couldn't make the weight anymore. I mean, the, the champions of the flyweight division 
are guys who are bantamweights but can also cut down to 125. If you are a true 125, there really is no place for you because the guys are just that much bigger than you. They will destroy you. Joseph Benavides is a true 125, and he got demolished twice by Davison Figueredo. Yeah. I mean, true 125s, unfortunately, do not have a spot. It's going to be the guys, I mean, unless they bulk up, you know, there, there's really no other their way, but the and I And I understand what, well, I understand what Dana was getting at when he wanted to take this division away. I understand that the flyweights are not, they, they are not a sustainable uh, division to, to hold on to, but you can't do that at the height of their, of the division when you have uh, fighters like Henry Cejudo, when you have Cody Garbrandt and figure uh, figuredos and Brandon Moreno's, there's no reason to get rid of the division. I mean, I, I do hope that Cejudo can come back and I, I hope, I hope he comes in and says, you know what? I want a piece of this. I, I, I need to settle the score against both of these guys really show that even in the height of the division, I'm still the, the best that's ever done it in this division. I, I think if he can do that, uh, there's no question that, the flyweights jump up into the ranking of possibly one of the best divisions there is. Yeah. Otherwise we'll be waiting a few years until uh, mighty mouse D- Demetrius Johnson's contract expires with Bellator. And then the UFC can try to grab him back if he doesn't want to stay. I mean, that's the only other competition available that's out there in combat sports and professional combat sports that can compete with Figueredo and Brandon Moreno right now. Otherwise, Cody Garbrandt's the next best hope at stepping in and, and intervening between these two guys. 100%. Uh, there's a lot more to to want to see. Uh, this was the perfect scenario for the UFC to be able to finish off their pay-per-view events uh, in 2020. Live us, Give us something that we want to continue on with. Um, January starts off with Dustin Poirier versus McGregor 2. This is going to be an absolute phenomenon. I cannot wait. Uh, there is so much more UFC to come, and who knows? Maybe next week we're talking about Kevin Holland and uh, Hamzat Chemaev actually getting a fight done. Uh, it, it's very unlikely, but still possible that this happens with with less than a week to go. Um, so stay tuned. UFC in for, uh, the UFC is just embarking on the, the greatness that it can be. And I'm very excited that we are on the forefront of being able to cover it and give you guys breaking news and, and, and break down all of this information for you guys. Um, with that being said, I, I believe that, um, that that'll do it for us for the UFC. And let's move over right now to the NBA. Okay. So, with everything in the UFC and the NFL already going well and, you know, what we have to look forward to, what we're moving on to is the NBA. The NBA normally would have started by now, but because of everything that happened in 2020, we don't need to rehash everything. Um, the fact remains that the NBA had to delay their season start they start at the end of december now instead of the end of november um they shortened their their season by 10 games per team and uh right now they are in the midst of their preseason games allowing these teams to have some on-court work and 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 just get kind of back into the swing of things before the regular season takes hold now with that being said uh the there's a lot of 
interesting things happening around the NBA and not a lot of noise is being made about it. Uh, first of which was the preseason game where uh, John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins were both playing for the Houston Rockets. Uh, they looked phenomenal. I mean, if you take a look at this game, if if you haven't, go watch the highlights. If you have, join in on this conversation because they looked absolutely incredible and they're going to be adding James Harden to the mix of this this might be the best formation of the Rockets with Houston, uh, with uh, James Harden, it, since since he's gotten there. I, I think this is the the best iteration of this team since the James Harden era has begun, and it looks like he could be on the move. But before we get to that, do you think that the Rockets can be competitive this year? In the West? I, yeah, I definitely think that they're going to give it a shot. I think John Wall and Boogie Cousins have something to prove. These are both guys that have struggled with injuries over the last few years, and they have a chip on their shoulder. And these are guys who, in their college days, were monstrous together. So I think that they're going to rekindle that that chemistry they had together in college and work together. They're going to feed off of each other to rebuild their reputations and prove why they are still elite players. So yeah, having these two guys at the forefront of the Rockets team, I think that they definitely are going to make a big splash in the Western Conference. I think that they are going to give people a run for their money, and I think that they are a, a silent, uh, a sleeper team going into the season. I think uh, the Houston Rockets need to give John Calipari a call and see if he'd be willing to come coach some of his old players in the <laughs> NBA. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this Kentucky, uh, you know, cohesiveness that they have is now translating many many years into the future on a team that nobody would have ever guessed that these two ended up with with the Houston Rockets um I'm going to say the Rockets can be competitive with a little caveat the caveat is if they don't keep James Harden they have to bring in more players than than picks i think that that is the ideal scenario in which houston is looking for i think it, if they trade james harden they are and and it looks increasingly more likely that that happens i believe that wherever he ends up they have to retain at least four to five different quality pieces or one to two start actual starting pieces uh, on top of the draft picks because th- they've already started to acquire draft picks. That's for the future. They need to be able to con- uh, to contend now with a team that is centered around DeMarcus Cousins and, and John Wall. And I think this team has what it takes. I think the Rockets have some of the requisite pieces, obviously losing uh, Robert Covington is huge, they, but they, you know, got dra- uh, draft picks for him. Um, some some of the moves that they've made have definitely hurt them. Uh, and they were both of our losers for the NBA offseason. If you haven't seen that, go check out that video. But um, the fact remains that John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins have, have have an absolute necessary connection to bring this team together. I think that there's been a lot of uh, what I call, quote unquote, me ball uh, in Houston, and that w- has a lot to do with James Harden. That has a lot to do with Russell Westbrook, and that has a lot to do with Mike D'Antoni. Two of the three are gone. The third is on his way out. I think the whole structure, the whole um, identity of the Houston Rockets organization is changing, and w- with that is going to breathe some some relief and some new blood into the system of Houston, and 
you know what? Maybe they're not going to be a top four seed in the West, but they can compete for the back end. And that back end is wide open. And they're a, if they can win some of these tough matchup games, they have the requisite pieces to get it done. I I need to see them put it together on the court. Um, and like I said, my caveat of them competing is bring in actual quality players, two to four players, uh, that can be able to help you compete this year while also bringing in draft picks to be able to compete for years on out. So so going to James Harden, there are a few teams that he has put on his short list. He, he originally was holding out of training camp. He wasn't even traveling to the facility. And then he finally showed up and said, trade me now. Get rid of me. And the, here's my list. It was originally thought to, that was only the 76ers, but then he added the Heat and the Bucks. So what are which team do you think of that list, or any other team really, that you think would make the trade for James Harden? And what does that trade include? So he, he also included the Brooklyn Nets. I, I do want to mention yeah. that. But, but I think the most likely scenario is the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think they have to do absolutely everything in their power to bring in another superstar to play alongside Giannis because Giannis is in the last year of his contract and he is not happy with the fact that they have lost on a lot of potential free agents, including one that they had a quote unquote sign and trade for Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, and then he ends up going to another team in the East uh, where he can compete for a starting job. Giannis is not happy and the Milwaukee Bucks are in a very tough scenario that not a lot of they are not a primary target for free agents to come to even to play with Giannis because just the the Milwaukee is not conducive to a lot of people um it, it's not where a lot of players want to be uh, if they go to the Eastern Conference they look at teams like the New York Knicks the Brooklyn Nets the Miami Heat the Philadelphia 76ers the Boston Celtics I mean the Technically, you look at those big markets and you say those those are the teams I want I want to go play for because they're always in contention. Milwaukee, without Giannis, they are nothing. And predicated on the fact that any free agent goes there just on the simple fact that Giannis is there. If Giannis leaves, that they're left on on an island all by themselves, and I don't think anybody wants to do that. So just to rein it back in, I think the Bucks have to make this deal. And and I have some some interesting uh trade scenarios that have, you know, I've gone back and forth with, but this is definitely something that I think that the the Bucks have to get done. This is the trade that I have. I have the Bucks receiving James Harden by himself and the Rockets getting Chris Middleton, Dante DiVincenzo, DJ Wilson and one or two first round picks. Um how, I, I don't how but my question to that is doesn't that kind of negate the whole issue that Giannis had was he needs supporting he needs better supporting cast and he needs depth off the bench because you're removing a lot of that so yeah, yes but in the eyes of the organization they are bringing another superstar that they can build around because if you bring in James Harden uh, coupled with Giannis Antetokounmpo, you now become a free agent destination worthwhile to, you know, aged uh, veterans that are looking for, you know, one to two year deals that want to just sell out for a championship, Montrezl Harrell. Um, you know, if, if you want any of those guys that are looking to 
that can still be productive, can still come off the bench and, and help you. I think getting rid, you know, you have to capitalize on the worth of Chris Middleton right now and his his uh, redundant abilities uh, of Giannis do not help this team. So if they can help a team like Houston, Houston wants a star coming back to them for James Harden, no matter what team he goes to. And I think Chris Middleton is one of those stars that they would get back in return, plus a couple depth pieces. Uh, and like I said, one to two first round picks that, that meets every, uh, that meets every qualification that I have for a trade that the Milwaukee Bucks need and that the Houston Rockets need for both sides to make this deal done. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And I, I, I just, I hate where the Milwaukee Bucks are right now. I, I think they're a sinking ship and I don't think that they're even with James Harden, they're a destination that many people really want to go to. I, I don't know how they're going to play together. I mean, you, you Giannis is a guy you feed the ball to, and James Harden's a guy who does everything. So that chemistry might have some some issues there. Plus, now you have Drew Holiday. We got to see how he fits into the mix, into that mold. I, I, I just don't know how Milwaukee would be able to pull off a trade that doesn't leave them in a bad spot. So yeah. Uh, it, it's tough because they, they do have some other pieces, but none none are worth the trade outside of Dante DiVincenzo and, and DJ Wilson and obviously Chris Middleton. Um, you have an aged Brooke Lopez that they did get rid of Robin Lopez, so the depth on the, on the front court is gone. Um, they acquired DJ Augustine, and uh, they still have Pat Connaughton. So they have some guard depth, but they need to focus on the on – the, uh, you know, when the Bucks were at their best under with the Giannis uh, regime, they were the biggest and strongest team in the NBA. I think they're going to lose a lot of that by getting rid of some of these guys, including Chris Middleton. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that there are some better spots for James Harden. And I think the, the Miami Heat, I think their push right now is the most intriguing. And, I know they've come out and said Tyler Hero is not uh, untouchable, but I, I think that he is worth more than just James Harden. So I think that Miami would make this trade, but I would see this trade happening. I would see James Harden moving to the Miami Dolphin, uh, to the Miami uh, <laughs> Heat. Heat. But I would also see the Miami Heat trading to the Rockets, Duncan Robinson, Kelly Olynyk, and a guy, you know, maybe Goran Dragic as some some extra depth plus some draft picks. I think that that leaves Miami in a spot where they're not depleting their future assets. They're still holding on to Tyler Hero who is their future and they're think, acquiring think, a guy who can help them right now. I think if if Miami does not include either Tyler Hero or Jimmy Butler, this deal cannot get done. I just I don't believe I think the that Miami they get the have plenty of assets back. that are worth a lot more. I, I think that they, Jimmy Butler holds a lot of value and Tyler Hero holds a lot of value, but those are two guys that are pillars for this Miami Heat team right now that you cannot pull away. Otherwise, the entire thing might fall apart. The, the Miami Heat got to where they were last year because of their chemistry, because of their cohesiveness, and you're going to lose that if you remove one of the big pieces. I mean, number 14 for the Miami Heat is definitely somebody that, uh, is on the rise for sure. 
but I think this is the time to capitalize on on his tradeability because there there's a a very good scenario in which he does not become the same player that he was. I mean, I I hope that he does. I hope he continues to progress uh just for his sake, but for the the fact remains that there could be regression this year. And if you can't capitalize on what he was able to do leading you helping to lead you to the finals, remember, if you remember how that postseason went, Jimmy Butler struggled. And it was the Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero show. So if you had Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, uh, Kelly Olynyk, and then added one or two players like Kendrick Nunn or Iguodala or who, whoever the case is, um, or if you take out Duncan Robinson and add in Goran Dragic, you, you still have to include a couple first-round picks into there. Maybe James Harden and P.J. Tucker come back to you. I mean, don't forget about P.J. Tucker. Um, I, I think he could be a, a relevant uh, spot for, for them as well. Yeah, there, there's there's definitely some possibilities for the Rockets to add additional pieces to acquire a bigger guy like Tyler Hero or Jimmy Butler. It's going to be interesting because the as the days go by and James Harden is not traded, the value that he holds goes down. Because they know, everybody knows, all 29 other teams know that the Houston Rockets are going to have to unlo- unload him before either the beginning of the season or at least by the trade deadline. And otherwise, he's not gonna he's not gonna play. He's a, he's a lost asset, and he's worth nothing to you. So I think I think the other scenarios that we need to lay out are if he goes to Philadelphia, the the Houston Rockets want one of Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, most likely Ben Simmons gets shipped out. And then if he goes to Brooklyn, they have to send either Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving without ever seeing what that duo looks like. There's no way that get that gets done. Yeah. So if, if that's why I took the bucks and I believe that's why you took the heat because I don't think Ben Simmons is enough to pry James Harden away from Houston. Also in a one V one. And I, I don't think the Nets even consider trading Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. And why would you want John Wall and Ben Simmons? To me, they're very similar style of on-ball guards who aren't the best shooters. I mean, yeah, John Wall can drive to well, the John basket. John Wall's a good shooter. Yeah, he, John Wall's a good shoot, a better shooter. But Ben Simmons, I wouldn't want him facilitating the John Wall. That kind of negates John Wall's ability to just drive to the basket from the top of the key. So yeah. I, I'm I'm not I don't like that combination. To me, that doesn't help the Houston Rockets. I'm, I'm Rocket not Saturday. high on Ben Simmons as, yeah. as a player. And, so. and, and you had it right. That <laughs> there, there's a, that there, these are the reasons I didn't choose the 76ers. I didn't choose the Brooklyn Nets because they just don't make any sense. They're not gonna yeah. these trades aren't gonna happen. And if they do, they're not helping anybody. And listen, there's a lot of fan bases that do not want James Harden. Uh, a yeah. lot of Miami Heat fans have given me heat see what i did there on twitter uh just because they don't want james harden messing with the uh, cohesion that brought them to the nba finals last year they don't want to give up a package that will bring james harden uh to miami to pair him with jimmy butler they don't want that they would rather build on what they had from last year rather than go through uh trying to just trade every trade the farm for a proven entity like James Harden, who again could end up leaving after this year is over. So that there's a whole hell of a lot that needs to, that needs to be unpacked here. I I think that uh, overall James Harden, this situation is going to be fun to watch. Um, 
I'll be interested to see how he does in Houston, knowing that he's got one foot already out the door. Um, but I mean, there's a possibility that he, he says he likes playing with James Wall, uh, sorry, John Wall and Demarcus Cousins and says, maybe I give this thing a go. You know, maybe Houston says, you know what, this is, this is kind of working out for us. It, it, crazier things have happened, right? Crazier things have happened, and it's a more likely scenario than him going to the 76ers or, or, or Nets. So, you know, it's definitely something to keep in mind. For sure. Um, all right. Well, a team that is not in the running for James Harden definitely has some room to grow. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets are in a very interesting position right now. They draft LaMelo Ball, who is arguably the best player in in this year's draft, on top of the fact that they acquired uh, veteran free agents uh, like uh, Gordon Hayward and Bogdan Bogdanovich and, and just a bunch of at quality pieces to help fill the void on this team. Um, just looking at, you know, where they are and, you know, they have Terry Rozier and PJ Washington, Cody Zeller. Do you think, do you, uh, let's, how do I word this? Do you think that this team has what it takes to compete in the East with the likes of the Nets, the Celtics, the Heat and the Bucks? Not this year, not this year. I think that the, the Gordon Hayward move is very it's kind of it's detrimental because you sign gordon hayward who is a variable asset you don't exactly know what you're getting out of him if he can even stay healthy and when he is healthy is he putting up 20 25 points a game or is he putting up 10 points a game you don't exactly know and is the you know the the roster that they're building around Lamelo ball isn't ideal you have a lot of smaller guys you 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 don't really have the big body guy that Lamelo ball needs to feed the ball i mean he he's gonna want to drive to the basket kick the ball out to somebody in the corner or he's gonna want to drive down and toss it around his back to somebody who's in the paint work those pick and rolls there is nobody on this team to do that gordon hayward is the best player opposite uh Lamelo ball and i don't think that this is a great fit for Lamella Ball start in the NBA, I think there are better. There were better options in free agency. They missed a lot of them. They should have gotten a big body that Lamella could work with, and that this is exactly the reason I couldn't stand Lamella Ball being drafted by the Charlotte Hornets because this is the worst possible scenario for him to be in, where he can't thrive. The only way he is going to thrive is when he has a better surrounding cast, and he is definitely not getting it in Charlotte. Yeah, I need to make a, a just a uh, an amend for what I said. I, I said Bogdan Bogdanovich did. when I talked about the Hornets. Uh, he is with the Atlanta Hawks, not with the Hornets. Uh, I do know what. Now, I'm if he about. was, now if that was somebody <laughs> they had uh, got acquired in free agency after that whole non-trade trade debacle with the Kings and Six and Bucks, <laughs> you know, who knows how this would have worked out, but. If Bogdan and uh, Lamelo had hooked up, that would have been a much better situation than what Lamelo is in right now. I agree, but I think Lamelo Ball is the best player on this team. 
Oh yeah, and, and that and that and that pains me to say because I do not like the Ball family. Oh, I love. Oh my God, Lamelo's. Listen, the best. I know I'm a minority when it comes to that, but the fact remains, I I can't stand, I can't stand Lavar, I can't stand Lamelo. Alonzo's literally Alonzo's the only one I like, and I don't think he's that good because um, he's the quietest. <laughs> and hey, Lamelo's the most outspoken. It's gonna be great. I can't wait for it. Well, okay. So anyway, just. Coming back to Charlotte, Terry Rozier was overpaid. I don't think there's a question about that. To get him away from Boston, which wasn't going to take much, they gave him damn near a max contract. And that was absolutely foolish of the Charlotte Hornets. Then, to get him away from Boston, they got Gordon Hayward. Again, wasn't going to take that much, but they overpaid to get him. You You overpaid two players that have struggled since leaving Boston, right? Or or one that was in Boston struggling. And then you add LaMelo Ball to this. You have Miles Bridges, PJ Washington. Um Cody Zeller is not really a good big. He he's good on the on the boards and he's good defensively, but uh offensively he he lacks a lot. He's not gonna be able to he's gonna be a detriment more than he's going to help you. Um you know this Hornets team finished eight and a half games back of the Orlando magic last year for the eighth seed. Um, they, they were 10th, but it, they were in the mix of the Chicago bulls, the New York Knicks, the Detroit Pistons. I mean, a lot of the, the New York, uh, the Atlanta Hawks, the Cleveland Cavaliers, some of these teams got a lot better. I said, I think they got better than Charlotte did. So to see the Charlotte Hornets competing for a playoff spot would act- actually not make sense to me because you still have Milwaukee, you still have Toronto, you still have Boston, you still have Miami, you still have Philadelphia. Don't forget Brooklyn now has Kevin Durant and a f- healthy Kyrie Irving. The Orlando Magic have another year under their belt. You have the Indiana Pacers that can't be overlooked. Uh, the Washington Wizards now with uh, you know Bradley Beal coupled with... Um, Russell Westbrook, there's a lot left there. Uh, this is going to be very difficult for the Charlotte Hornets to be able to compete in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and those those teams that you just named at the end, those are the teams they'll be competing with, the Washington Wizards and the Indiana Pacers. Those are the teams that are sizable competition to the Charlotte Hornets. When you talk about the top-tier teams, the Raptors, the Bucks, the Heat, the Celtics— they are going to obliterate LaMelo Ball and the Charlotte Hornets. There is nobody that can't be covered on the Charlotte Hornets. There, LaMelo Ball can only do so much as one person. And the rest of the East has faced Gordon Hayward for the last few years, so they know what they're going up against. You know, it's not like they are throwing in some big, you know, chess moves that are really going to th- tilt some teams and, and some of these games they're going to play. I, I just don't see the Charlotte Hornets having much success this season. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think uh, I think there's still a lot to uh, left to be desired when it comes to the Charlotte Hornets. Um, I think the East has a lot of competition right now. That, that Even without a lot of quality additions, the, the conference got much more difficult just on the progression of the players that are already in there. Um, Boston has is now going to lean on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on top of their the draft that they had. Uh, you have the Toronto Raptors who were able to retain the services of Fred Van Vliet and, and uh, everything he was able to do. Um, 
you know, Pascal Siakam looks great in Toronto. Milwaukee, if they can make a uh, a trade for James Harden, that that could be uh, huge for the for the franchise. It, it'll be interesting. Miami was in the finals last year. I mean, all these teams have so much that you know they still need to work on, and they're already leaps and bounds higher than the Charlotte Hornets are. So I do not believe they're going to compete this year. I I don't even think they're going to compete next year. I think that they still have a lot of work to do on this roster before it becomes uh, complete uh, head to toe, especially on the, on the starting five, let alone uh, with, with reserves and everything else. Absolutely. All right. So I think that's going to do it for the NBA for us today. Uh, Let's move over to the NFL. All right, so the NFL was, I guess the word is interesting. Boring. Uh, it, no, boring. Uh, it's straight up well, boring. This is, it was confusing. I think that's the best this is, word. No, this is by far the most boring week of football all year. I, no, nothing, well, nothing spectacular happened. Miami made a late push, but you kind of knew that the Chiefs had it in the bag. It, there really wasn't anything that, that came as a surprise. I... Um, it's very mean, lackluster. Yeah. I I, I kind of lost interest going into the four o'clock games. I I, I pretty much lost. Well, interest. you lost interest for a different reason. I lost it. Yes, that's for, because your fantasy your fantasy season was over by three thirty. Again, we're not a fantasy channel. We do not talk about this. <laughs> but if you must know, my fantasy playoffs uh, they came and went very quickly, all thanks to I believe six or seven of my players going out for the season. So, you know. Better luck next year, but uh, it, if you it, ever it just, have a player on your fantasy team that Nick has, drop them immediately. Don't worry, I'll let you know who I draft next <laughs> season. And then, then you can just trade them right away. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that there's a there's a whole hell of a lot that um, that was left to be desired for for this week in football. Um, we'll get to some of the highlights, but. Uh, the Eagles starting Jalen Hurts over Carson Wentz was by far and away the biggest headline uh, going into the week. Um, and I, we needed to see what he was going to be able to do, how he was going to be able to uh, handle this offense that different than Carson Wentz, because don't forget, they, they gave Carson Wentz a hefty contract. Um, Carson, the Eagles want to keep Wentz, uh, but Jalen Hurts semi-balled out. Uh, for the Eagles I mean when I say semi balled out he didn't turn the ball over he made smart decisions he he ran when the pocket was collapsing uh he he just played the quarterback position properly he was a game manager and if you've listened to us for uh, many many weeks uh or years you have you can understand that when I say game manager I think that's a compliment I think that he he plays the quarterback position in a risk-free manner in the sense that he's going to hit his checkdowns. He is going to hit the open guy. If it is three yards, it's three yards. If it's five yards, it's five yards. He's not going to push the ball down the field. Carson Wentz got into a lot of trouble because he tried to stay in the pocket. He tried to limit himself outside of the pocket. And then he tried to push the ball down the field when there was nothing there. And there, this is what led to the change. The Eagles said, listen, we are struggling to stay in the race for the NFC least. Uh, there is no reason why we can't just throw Jalen Hurts in. Nothing's going to get worse. It can only get better. So here they are. They start Jalen Hurts, and 
uh, he torches the the Saints defense. It also and it helps when Miles Sanders runs for an 82 yard touchdown. But nonetheless, um, you know, he torches the Saints defense. And Maybe Miles Sanders eight- can run for an 82 yard touchdown every time if it's not Carson Wentz. <laughs> You know, <laughs> maybe. Uh, but the, the fact remains that the, um, you know, the shark, uh, sorry, <laughs> the uh, Philadelphia Eagles have uh, a lot of questions here. And I guess the the biggest question is what happens to Carson Wentz based on what we saw from Jalen Hurts? You've got to cut him. You've got to cut him. I don't I don't care. You've got to cut your losses. Yeah, you made the big investment a couple of years ago, and and he's on the books. He's the dead cap numbers are ridiculous to Insane. even think of. But you've got to cut your losses. He is not only wasting a roster spot, but he is just he's not helping. He's he's not going to help Jalen Hurts improve as a quarterback. He's not going to help the morale of the team get any better. You've got to cut your losses, and he's he's the first one to go. I, it, yeah, Jalen Hurts needs to be the future of this team. You've got to make the full commitment to him, and that's the only way he, he succeeds in Philadelphia is if they do that right now while he's still a rookie, while he's still working. In the offseason, do, t- do what the Texans did with the Browns. Trade him to a team that has a lot of cap space, who is going to eat the cap, and then trade along a first or second round pick so you know you're kind of offsetting that that money you know that's what happened with brock osweiler and that's exactly who carson wentz is he is brock osweiler 2.0 he he is performing he he had the the high with the super bowl win and then it's been downfall ever since then He, he he really just tricked the the eagles into giving him a massive contract and well, then, don't forget he didn't win the super bowl nick Foles did true that, that is the, so but, Carson Wentz he was on the team and he led them to a great record in the regular season and was but the MVP no, favorite he was the MB, MVP favorite but there's no telling what would have happened if he played throughout those playoffs that's very true it's very true and I think that's something that a lot of Philadelphia fans and a lot of Philly executives overlook is they thought because Carson Wentz was putting up record numbers and this team was starting to get stronger and they they were they were getting younger at these positions that you know they would be able to put it together and a lot of people were putting the blame myself included were put was putting it on Doug Peterson it wasn't just Carson Wentz it's the the you know the pass rush is not being protected and Carson Wentz is being trounced every single time well you just faced the number one defense in the league in New Orleans Saints and guess what Jalen Hurts just had a, an amazing game where he beat the New Orleans Saints and he's running out of these situations so he's not getting sacked every play. Carson Wentz has legs. It's not like he's a slow guy. He should be doing exactly what Jalen Hurts is doing and, and he clearly can't execute like Jalen Hurts. That There is nothing else to see here with, with, with Carson Wentz. He is a lost commodity. He is broke. He's damaged goods. He'll never, he's irreparable. I, I think that that he it's it's just time to cut your losses. He'll be just just like Andrew Luck. He'll be retired soon enough, and we'll be on to the Jalen Hurts era, and we can start to rebuild in a couple of years once all that dead cap leaves leaves the uh, the the salary cap. But I'm, for, I'm for, gonna give you a caveat though. I don't think he's irreparable. I think he's irreparable in 
Philadelphia. I think if he goes to mm-hmm. another team that has a system that can help him, uh, trust me. Who's going to give him that, another shot? Any any team that needs a quarterback that is isn't he, going. Who, who would you rather? Who would you rather have? Would you rather have Carson Wentz or Mitch Trubisky? Carson Wentz. Would you rather have Carson Wentz or Nick Foles? Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz or Philip Rivers? <sighs> well, Carson Wentz just because of Philip Rivers' age. Otherwise, okay. skill-wise, Philip Rivers. Carson Wentz or Derek Carr? Derek Carr. Uh, but okay, I, I understand what you're getting at, and I'd probably even choose Marcus Mariota over Carson <laughs> Wentz. But the fact remains that there are teams in this league that are not going to be able to get a quality starting quarterback for the the next year or two, and are going to be in a position where they can provide weapons and an offensive line. I think that is where he needs to go. I think he needs to go to one of those teams to to kind of just he needs a breath of fresh air because you've seen more than not that when when a player leaves. I mean, perfect scenario. We talk about it every week outside of the show. Nelson Aguilar, incredible player for the Las Vegas Raiders. But when he was with Philadelphia, he he was drop city. I mean, like it's almost like he had a transformation overnight, but it's it's just refreshing. I mean, everybody wrote him off. I mean, you wrote him off going to Las Vegas like he's, you know, he's damaged goods for sure. And he's not. I think the same can be said for Carson Wentz. He needs to get out of Philadelphia. He needs to get away from the Eagles organization. He needs a fresh start in a in a in a quality system. So and he's not the problem. Who is? Is it Doug Peterson? Is it the yes, is it the culture? It's Doug Peterson and it's Howie Roseman. And I know every all these Eagles fans, you know, who are still living in the in the Super Bowl are, you know, going to rip my head off. But I don't give two shits. OK, first of all, Philadelphia is the worst city in the world. Absolutely. Second, second of all, the, the fact remains that the Eagles, since they won the Super Bowl, have only been the drudge of the NFL. They have not been able to progress. They have lived in the past, and that is it. The only players that they they can rely on right now are Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. That's it. Outside of those players, you have nothing. Uh, Because, and you can say, you know, what about Zach Ertz? Well, you have Dallas Goddard, and Zach Ertz wants out. So it's not even him. Miles Sanders has come in, and he's done pretty well, but he wasn't part of that Super Bowl. He, I mean... Howie Roseman has has failed at the highest levels outside of that one Super Bowl season, which was a fluke at best. I wouldn't even say it's Howie Roseman because he has brought in some pretty good talent. You have Miles Sanders, you have Jalen Rager, and it's not until you bring in Jalen Hurts that these guys are actually working well together. So it's not necessarily a culture thing or, or an organizational thing with the head coach and GM the pieces are there. Carson Wentz just can't execute. And the fact that Carson Wentz can't execute is the reason Miles Sanders has been, he hasn't been as productive as we thought he should be. And Jalen Rager, people were saying is, you know, should have been drafted after Justin Jefferson. I mean, he is, these are extremely talented guys that have been drafted to the team that have what it takes they just the guy at the helm cannot do it 
but I think it's more emblematic of the of the culture that they have in Philadelphia, not just the. It's not just the quarterback. the 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 failure of the organization cannot solely fall onto the quarterback's lap in this scenario. I think there is a a a complete uh, discombobulation when it comes to the front office, the the coaching staff, and the offense. I mean, we're talking about a team that used to rely on their ability to uh, run the ball with a sound offensive line, a top five offensive line. I mean, not too long ago, they had um, uh, Jason Peters, they had Brandon Brooks, they had Jason Kelsey and uh, Lane Johnson, Lane Johnson based on injuries and age and not being able to con like to, to bring, uh, bring up other talented players. They have not been able to fill those roles. And, and that is a major flaw in the coaching staff on top of the fact that you have other players that have flourished outside of there. That's another failure of the coaching staff. You haven't brought in some of the right players. That is a failure on the front office. And then on top of that, you have players like Carson Wentz who are trying to do too much. They're trying to carry the franchise on their backs. And I just can't imagine that that has that's all on him. He's trying to do too much because there's he's trying to save everybody's job and it's not going to end up working out for anyone. No, yeah, it's not going to work out for anyone and it's going to Carson Wentz is at the very bottom. I mean, he is being hurt the worst. His career, I mean, yeah, he's made his money. He has a ring. So, really what else is there for him to do in the NFL? He's still got a legacy. I hope he cares about that otherwise you definitely don't belong in the NFL. I mean, he he should really be trying to figure out how can I be the next Nelson Aguilar? How can I go to somewhere else and do a 180 instantly? How can I be a better quarterback and get better for my future destination? It's not about the here and now. It's about the future. What happened, happened. you got to get over it. you got to get past it. It's it's not going to change now. The, the, your, you know, your replacement is here. He's taken over. So get ready for for what's next and hopefully you'll be able to do that i i hope carson's able to figure something out and be uh a formidable quarterback for another team i really do i'd have nothing against carson wentz i hope that he has success but i don't know where that is indianapolis makes the is the only other place i can think of that has a quarterback opening and has a, an offensive line that can protect him and guess where you know he had the most success under Frank Reich, who true. happens to be that's their head very coach. true. That's I very think true. Indianapolis was the team that I was talking about when when I was talking about the perfect spot for him. If he can leave Philadelphia and go back to the success that he had under Frank Reich with a better offensive line and a top five defense, why not? They have, they know what they got in Philip Rivers. I think Carson Wentz is a younger version of that. He can sling the ball. He needs to. He needs to be in a Frank Reich offense. Um, I, I think that is the perfect spot for him. Indianapolis Colts need to try to get. And you know what? They have the cap space to get it done as well. They they do, but <laughs> there's absolutely nobody in this world that is accepting a contract in which Carson Wentz is getting paid thirty plus million dollars for the next three seasons. There's no way, unless they get some draft picks or or any or something else in return. Maybe Philadelphia has to eat some of that contract. I don't care that they need to get if they're going to get rid of him. They need to 
Indianapolis is the way to go. And Indianapolis has to way, uh, find a way to, to get either some of that money left in Philadelphia or they need to get some compensation for taking that contract off of Philadelphia's books. Either way, it, it's not a one-for-one one trade. No, it, it's not a one-for-one one trade. We're going to have to really follow this in into the offseason because nothing's going to happen now. We're not going to hear anything about this for a while. And the, the, the Eagles, after a huge win over the New Orleans Saints under Jalen Hurts, I mean, that is bright for Philadelphia. I think that their future, although it's not with Carson Wentz, is still bright and they still have something. They still have a team that can be competitive in their division. So all is not lost for the Philadelphia Eagles just yet. I think that they're going to lose a lot of money in uh, because of the, the cap hit but they're still going to be able to build up the team from the players they have on the roster currently. I think that they, they their team is young enough where they're going to have them for a while and they'll, they'll be able to come out of this Carson Wentz contract situation unscathed. So the Eagles just need to move on and, and, and look, look towards the future. All, both, all parties do, Carson Wentz and the Eagles organization. I, I agree, but that let, let's save the you know that conversation the or the the next part of that conversation for for the off season. Um, one thing I want to focus on for right now is the MVP race, and this isn't something that we talk about very often, but I feel like it needs to be addressed because you and I have very differing views on how this is going to oh, go. Yeah, because there's a bunch of idiots out there in the world that think that Patrick Mahomes is the end all be all of the NFL. Patrick Mahomes is the leader of the MVP race, and he deservedly so. No. You t- he is. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely is. And this is where we're going to have a very lively debate, so please stay tuned. Um, you know, you, you can point to the fact that he threw three interceptions against the Miami Dolphins, and you can point to the fact that he has struggled against some top-tier opponents, but he, he's also – you know, setting records and becoming a top, he's a top quarterback in in this league, if not the best quarterback in this league. He is one of the greatest throwers of the football I have ever seen in my, in my entire lifetime. And there is no scenario in which I see any other player winning the MVP award this year outside of Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes cannot win this award when you have Tyree Kill, who is the best wide receiver in the NFL this year, and Travis Kelsey, who is the best tight end in the league every year, there's no way you can be given this award when you are surrounded by elite talent. When you don't need to worry about who you're throwing the ball to, you can trust them. Patrick Mahomes, he doesn't make many mistakes, and, and he can put the ball wherever he wants, when he wants, and he can run out of any situation. He can do that. He is a magician. I, I'm not taking away the abilities of Patrick Mahomes. But when you're talking about the most valuable player, he is not it. Aaron Rodgers is a more valuable player than Patrick Mahomes. I don't think Patrick Mahomes could go into Green Bay and do exactly what Aaron Rodgers is doing right now. I don't think he'd be able to handle having no-name receivers and tight ends and not having any help around him. I just I don't think he would have the same success. Aaron Rodgers would have the same success if he was on Kansas City right now. 
Patrick Mahomes is not the best quarterback in the league. He's not the most valuable player. He he could his job could be done. The Chiefs would have the same success without him if they had another above average quarterback. Wow, you are vastly diminishing the uh value of Patrick Mahomes. Um listen, I don't think he's the greatest quarterback of all time. I, I'm not saying that. I, I think that he is by far and away the best quarterback in the game today. <clears throat> he can do everything Aaron Rodgers can do and then some. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, you know, you can talk about all of the, you know, all how, of how- the plays that he's made in his in his lifetime and everything about that. But the fact remains that, you know, he Patrick Mahomes has just as many Super Bowls as Aaron Rodgers does at this point. You you can't look at it like that because we're talking about the most valuable player. We're talking about the two teams that are number two in their conference. But you gotta also look at the surrounding pa- the supporting cast. Patrick Mahomes has everybody you could want pretty much on a team, and Aaron Rodgers gets no love from anybody. He gets no help from anybody he has Devonte adams and he has aaron jones and that's it he's got one running back one wide receiver and he's told to go out there and win every single game and he pretty much does that because he's able to dissect defenses he's able to make terrible receivers look fantastic he's able to pick up his defense who can't stop the run for their freaking life and just continue to score whenever he wants to he there is no other player in the NFL that is more valuable to their team than Aaron Rodgers. Patrick Mahomes' job could be done by Tua Tungavailoa or Justin Herbert or Carson Wentz. Even I would, I would even say that because you know Patrick Mahomes has almost a thousand more yards passing than Aaron Rodgers does. I'm not. Do I you understand? Care. That? I don't care. It's a because he has the supporting cast. You put Aaron Rodgers on the pa- on the Chiefs, and he's gonna have almost five thousand yards passing and fifty touchdowns. It you can't. That's not it's true. Not, these these the MVP Aaron Rodgers race, has more touchdowns and and one less interception than Patrick Mahomes does. The MVP race is not an apples to apples comparison. It is are like who is the most valuable player to their team? If that's the case, then it's Derrick Henry. I mean, it is that simple. You can make that argument. I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers is the only viable option. I'm just saying Patrick Mahomes is definitely not the most valuable player this season. The only time that the Chiefs have ever been relevant in our lifetime outside of Patrick Mahomes was one season with Alex Smith pre-injury. Besides that, Patrick Mahomes is the only reason this Chiefs team is even relevant. Their defense is disgustingly terrible outside of Chris Jones. And then you have... You got to give Hill. that defense a lot more credit. They're better no, than you I do, think. I do not. No, I do not. They, they are fluffed up by the simple fact that every team has to come from behind because they have to try to match what Patrick Mahomes does on a daily basis. There is no other, there is no other quarterback that is feared as much as Patrick Mahomes under, uh, under center is. It's just that simple. 
Patrick Mahomes is not somebody to be afraid of. Aaron Rodgers is more somebody I'm more afraid of because he's faced adversity. What adversity has Patrick Mahomes faced this season? None of his it, players it, have gotten hurt. You don't get a score for facing adversity. There's no you, adversity. But it needs uh, to be taken into account. No, it doesn't. Because yes, there's there's no there's no uh well, you know what? You've suffered a couple injuries on your team. You so know, you should have done this. There no, nobody gives a shit. What did you do? Did you do it? No. Okay, then you don't deserve it. That's the end of it. Could Patrick Mahomes' job be done without him? Absolutely. No. Could Aaron Rodgers' that, job be done without him? Absolutely yes. not. Absolutely yes. not. Yes, no. it could. Yes, it absolutely could. No. Aaron, Patrick Mahomes is in a stronger division than Aaron Rodgers is. That's not necessarily true. I mean, the Vikings no, is true. are a very strong team. The Chargers are a terrible team. The The Broncos are a terrible team. And the Raiders are a terrible team. I, I, I don't... There, there is nobody. Just last week, the Raiders were uh, a, a top team for your contention, and now all of a sudden they were in the team. hunt. Yeah, until they decided to almost lose to the New York Football uh, to the New York Jets. I, I, I just we're not. Patrick Mahomes has not done enough. He has not shown me why he is irreplaceable. Why he is making Tyreek Hill better. Why he is making Travis Kelsey better. I you think it's the other way Patrick around. Mahomes I think that Tyree Kill is making Patrick Mahomes better. I think Travis Kelsey is making Patrick Mahomes better. Patrick Mahomes doesn't always make the best throws, but his receivers bail him out. He he's, he throw he just dumps the ball off to Travis Kelsey, who runs thirty yards up the field. He throws the ball, oh, he dumps weird. it off so to Tyree. Aaron Rodgers Kill. doesn't dump off the ball to Devontae Adams and he runs through defenses. I mean, you yeah, can but, you can say the same exact thing. The the fact remains that Patrick Mahomes is still leading him in key statistical categories, on top of the fact that you know what, if you want to account for injuries, go ahead. The fact remains that the, the Chiefs don't get injured. They have to be given some credit for that. You can't you, you take can't, away you you can't take anything away from them because they haven't been injured. You know what? It's on the players to not get injured, and they haven't. No, you can't you can't just say that injuries no, are can't. no injuries are fluke. They are they are a variable that cannot be accounted for. You don't know so Carson if Wentz or when they'll happen. The Carson Wentz should have won that MVP then because it's not his fault he got hurt, right? No, that's not how this right, works. Exactly. So no, no, I'm not. I'm, we're not talking about. I'm not talking about a player who's been injured. I'm talking about a guy who has kept his team at the top of the conference with with no weapons around him, very few weapons around him. Who's had multiple wide receivers go get injured? He's been cycling through players and making them look like studs. He's, he's had to account for a bad all defense. around him. They have Marquez Valdez-Scantling, they have Alan Lazard, they have Robert Tunyon, they have Devontae Adams, they have a... How many of these people did you know before the season? How many How many of these people, you knew Al, You knew maybe Alan Lazard, you definitely didn't know did. who Robert Tunyon was. I, I know that who for Marquez Valdez-Scantling is, I know who... He's not a good St. receiver! He's not a good uh, receiver! Aaron Rodgers sure makes him look that? like a decent receiver. He's not uh, good... You and uh, the most valuable you, player is the guy who can make his surrounding cast look better than they actually are. That's Aaron Rodgers. Tyreek Hill would be an elite athlete, elite player without Patrick Mahomes. So would Travis Kelsey. So would Sammy Watkins. Wow. 
So would CEH. That is a misstep of the highest order. You are undervaluing You're, Patrick Mahomes. At it. There's a reason he became the first quarterback, first player to sign a half a billion dollar contract. You're undervaluing how big of a role his supporting cast plays. If he doesn't no, have those I'm weapons. I'm not. But you can't take that away. Just because they have talented players doesn't mean you can take that away from but his that ability just, to that do what he does. That just shows that Patrick Mahomes is not everything. He doesn't rely on them. He can do it without them. He can't Aaron do it Rogers, without them. He hasn't even... Yes, he can. How can yes, you say that? We have not seen that. Oh, my God. We have never seen him face adversity. This is what I talked about. He has not had to go without Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey for... Uh, more than a couple games. I mean, he they just... have a much worse offensive line than the Packers do. They have a much worse running attack than the Packers do. I mean, if you want to really this, compare this apples, at all. To, just because they choose not to throw apples to, apples, to run the ball, Aaron Rodgers has a better scenario than than Patrick Mahomes does. It's not true at all. Patrick Mahomes is. is in the best spot anybody in sports could be in. He has elite coaches and elite players surrounding him. All he has to do is make the correct reads, the correct throws, and that's it. Yeah, every so often he has some nice plays where he runs out of the pocket and, and makes some spectacular play with his feet or, or throws a, a great pass. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers right is there, doing that every single drive. Every single drive. Okay. Maybe sometimes Devontae Adams to. will get a nice catch and then take it upfield. No, but that Devontae doesn't happen Adams every single time. More work than you're giving him credit for. You are undervaluing Devontae Adams and you're overhyping Aaron Rodgers. I don't that the fact remains that there is no way you can tell me that Aaron Rodgers can is worth more to his team than Patrick Mahomes. I, I refuse to buy that. Listen, You're like you GameStop. Can, you, I will not buy from you. <laughs> you. You live in your fantasy world where Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback of all time, but the reality is he Didn't is not I the most valuable player in 2020. Didn't I just say that he wasn't and I wasn't saying that? So clearly you are you, not listening to my argument. I no, rest you, my case. Your Honor, I win. The fact that I you're win. you're even going I there win. shows that you have no solid argument to back up why Patrick Mahomes is the most valuable player of the 2020 NFL season. He's not even the best given... team. If he if he had if he's so good and he has all these pieces around him, why are the Steelers a better team? The Steelers have one of the easiest schedules in in NFL. What? The Chiefs are coming off a Super Bowl in which they won. They are the most targeted team in the NFL. Yeah. What on earth are you talking about? They're definitely not the most targeted team <clears throat> in the NFL. They're de <laughs> we're not we're not talking about the Chiefs. We're talking about Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has too many elite weapons around him. He has the number one player at two different positions on his team. That puts him had that should put him at a disadvantage for MVP right off the bat. And the fact that his numbers aren't even better than Aaron Rodgers, as you've previously said, shows that he is definitely not the MVP of this season. Yeah. 
no, Patrick Mahomes is the only is the only choice to win MVP this year. He is he is Aaron Rodgers and then some. And if you're going to choose Aaron Rodgers, that you're you're vastly undervaluing what Patrick Mahomes can can do with a football. But then maybe we need to <clears throat> rename this award to best player we've seen this year instead of most valuable player. If it's most valuable player, Tom Brady would have won it every single year. It is best player of the year. That's what it always has been. Then give Tyree Kill the award because there's no wide receiver. No, I said give it to Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry deserves it more than any other player. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) Derrick. It always goes to a quarterback. Just how it is. All right. Well, since you clearly lost that debate, and I'm fine with that. um, Speaking of Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry had a day. Had a day that. Nobody talked about no for reasons I can't understand. Because he does and it maybe every week. You guys, maybe you guys can understand for me. Let me know if you understand this. Derrick Henry ran for 215 yards and two touchdowns against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I understand that the competition not, wasn't necessarily there in the Jaguars. However, 215 yards and two touchdowns is nothing to scoff at. Derrick Henry passed Jim Brown. Barry Sanders and Ladanian Tomlinson for the most two hundred yard rushing games that also have two t- two touchdowns. Is Derrick Henry the most ro- dominant running back in today's game? It, it's it's a tough question to answer because I look at there's Alvin only Kamara. one person. I look at Christian McCaffrey. I look at Dalvin Cook. These are guys who are. They have different skill sets than Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry isn't a pass-catching back. He is right, a downhill the, runner. The question is dominant. Not the best running back, not the best statistical running back. Is he the most dominant running back in today's game? Are, uh, are you talking about the, the position or the ability to run the football? The, the position, the dominant running back. I, 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 I can't say that he is because if we're talking about the most dominant we're also talking about the best currently and to me derrick henry is not the best running back in the nfl he he has dominant games but it's also the the system in which he's in so i think that guys like christian mccaffrey and alvin kamara who are very they're they're solid runners but also are fantastic when they catch the ball are the best i'd rather have a dual threat running back than a one one-sided uh running back in derrick henry uh derrick henry catches the ball plenty it, i wouldn't he's say not that. he's not known for it but the fact remains that i mean he's the north to south runner and when when it comes to the end of the season the last four or five weeks of the season there isn't a defense that want to, wants to tackle him for 60 minutes. That is for damn sure. And the only reason I know that is because I faced him the last two years in fantasy. He bounced me out of the playoffs two years ago and kept me from the playoffs last year. That's why I drafted him this year. And just, the, just I mean, 215 yards, two touchdowns, and passing the likes of Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, and Danian Tomlinson, I think that is pretty damn impressive if you ask me. And... You know, if you want to talk about Alvin Kamara, sure. It's an it's impressive. But you talk about but you the talk stat, about the offense being the, conducive. What? The 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 stat that you have referenced here is a niche stat. You're talking about a a 200 rush yard game 
with two touchdowns. So it's very rare that anybody finds themselves in these situations. Derrick Henry is one of the elite running backs in the NFL. He is a top five running back in the NFL. But there are running backs I am, that are in the NFL I'm taking ahead of him. I, I don't necessarily agree because I just think that why isn't Christian I, McCaffrey is way too injury prone. He just is there. there he, he, the overutilization of Christian McCaffrey has caused him to be to become fragile. Alvin Kamara is very good in the passing game, but I don't want him running the ball. I just don't. I, I don't think he's a very I don't think he's a very good running back. Ezekiel Elliott struggles when he doesn't have the uh, the offensive line to to help him out or uh you know a reputable quarterback to be able Derrick to Derrick Henry would struggle in the Cowboys offense too. I don't necessarily think that's accurate. Yeah, Derrick Henry doesn't find success until he's at the second level or third level. If he is stopped at the first level by the defensive line or if the linebackers come up and stop him, that's why when they face the Steelers, the Steelers were able to get to him. They have the big linebackers that are able to stand up to him and stop him. It wasn't even the linebackers. It was his the it was his uh the defensive line when they yeah. when they got him. But they have massive guys like Cam Hayward who who are just mammoth people. And I'm talking just overall. I mean, how many times are you facing the number one defense in the league in the Steelers? It definitely helps that Derrick Henry is facing teams like Jacksonville and Houston and uh indian i mean indianapolis when in when he faced deforest buckner he was a no-show he's like he didn't he wasn't even there as soon as deforest buckner's not there he rushes for 200 yards and three touchdowns i mean you know once there the lack of competition that he's facing on the defensive side of the ball is what's helping him get all these yards. But as soon as he faces these big defensive guys that are able to stop him, that's when he kind of crumbles and gets two, three yards a carry, and they just stop utilizing him because he's not effective. It's, I, I think he, I just to get back to the question, I do think he is the most dominant running back in the in the game. Even and if that's... you don't want, even if you don't want CMC or or Alvin. I'm taking Dalvin Cook over him because he can catch the ball and he's an extremely strong downhill runner who can also shift around guys. I mean, he is the like most balanced all-around running back. Dad, I, I think Dalvin Cook needs to prove it more than just more than just the, the last year or two. I think he because you know he is not the focal point of that offense. Everybody is keying in on stopping Derrick Henry. If you stop Derrick Henry, you're going to cause the Titans to struggle offensively. If you cause Derrick, uh, uh, Dalvin Cook to struggle, De Kirk Cousins can still run that offense with Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Kyle Rudolph, and Irv Smith when he's available. Ryan Tannehill is a very strong quarterback who's able to deal with A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. Yes, but he needs the play action pass to be able to get that done. He needs to roll out of the pocket. He has designed plays to get that done. If you watch Tennessee Titans games, he needs Derrick Henry to be effective for them to be able to There's move been, the ball. There have been, been games they, where they, Derrick Henry is ineffective and he's able to, and Tannehill no, has success. That, that, the, the correlation stems from the fact that when, when Derrick Henry is ineffective, so is Ryan Tannehill. Look at the correlation. It's there. There's only been two times that I've seen in the last 
two years where Ryan Tannehill was able to overcome adversity that uh, Derrick Henry was quote unquote ineffective. And both of those games, Derrick Henry came close to a hundred yards rushing still. So I, I, I think that, I think that there's a lot left to be desired when it comes to other running backs, because they are not the focal point. Derrick Henry is one of the last running backs that are the focal point of their offense. Yeah, I mean the style of the style of play that Derrick Henry has that he gives, it's it's not existent in today's NFL. It's not a hard nose. Let me beat you down with my my running back. It's let me find a way to scheme some creative play to get the ball into their hands without creating with creating the least amount of contact. You know, yeah. we're, we're moving away from the co- the full contact football. It's well, I, I think that's another reason for a Der- Derrick Henry success is a lot of these teams are built for the nickel defense or the dime defense where they have six or even seven defensive backs out on the field, one, maybe two linebackers, and that's pretty much it. The, everybody else is much smaller, and I think a, a guy like Derrick Henry who stands at Six foot two and weighs about what two forty five I think is what he his last weigh in was right around there. Uh, mostly muscle. I mean, this man is just a behemoth. He's an offensive lineman with the speed of a, a receiver. I, I think that there is something to be desired when it comes to the size and speed that he possesses. I think I think that helps him a lot. Not not necessarily his his footwork or his ability to run the ball, but just just those two. Uh, abilities alone help him to become what I consider to be the most dominant running back in the game. It's it all depends on the system you're in, and he is in the absolute perfect system for what the for his style of play. That's why he's had so much success is because the the Titans have made him the priority, and without that Derrick Henry is just another quarter another running back but he he's proven that he is one of the best in the NFL there's no taking that away from him but is he the most dominant no well let us know what you guys think let us know uh if you think Derrick Henry is the most dominant running back in today's game let uh let us know um what you thought of today's episode we're going to end it here we're going to let you guys have your week um Christmas is right around the corner. Make sure that you guys are getting prepared for Christmas. Um, You know, we are all set and ready to uh, be here for you guys during the Christmas season. And we will be here throughout. Um, With that being said, uh, more than 90% of you who view our content are not subscribed to the channel. Jason, if you're listening, I know you're, I know you're there. I know you're there. I see you in the comments. I see you talking to us on Twitter, Jason, Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm tired of you, okay? Subscribe to the channel. Make sure you like our our content. Make sure you give it a good thumbs up. Comment. Uh, let us know what you thought of some of the topics that we talked about. Uh, if you'd like to see more UFC content, let us know. Uh, we want to provide the content you guys want to see. We don't necessarily want to just dominate the conversation. In fact, I have talked to a couple of you on social media and said that we would like to feature some of your comments. So don't be afraid to interact with us on social media. We love talking to you guys. uh, And I'm not afraid to go at you. So be prepared. If you're going to come after us for something, you better 
be prepared with with uh, some fighting words because I'm coming strong. Uh, with that being said, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Enjoy, uh, enjoy yourself. Stay healthy. Stay safe. And uh, make sure to love each other. Peace and love, baby.